Pray with me. Father God, we're thankful. God, we are thankful for that we can depend upon you to build our lives, God. If we put our trust in you, you will build it for us, Father. You will show us exactly what we need, what we need to do. Father, we're grateful for your love, your mercy, your grace. And each and every person that is here today, God, may they hear from you. Father, if I say anything, it means nothing. God, may the words that's spoken here today be from you. I don't want to hurt these people. I don't want to mess these people up. So, Father, I pray that you will speak through me. And anything that's wrong, you'll block it. And everything that needs to come out right and true to your word and true to your truth. Father, I pray that's what they hear. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. How's everybody? Good, 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 good. You know, I heard a preacher say this uh, a few weeks ago, and I was listening to him, and I thought, man, i got to Google that and figure that out if that's true or not. And, and uh, sure enough, what he said was true. But did you know that your ears never stop growing? It's a true. It's a fact. Your bones stop growing and, and stuff, but your ears, the cartilage in your ears never stop growing. <laughs> so turn to your neighbor and say, what's up, big ears? <laughs> you going to listen to that preacher with those big ears? <laughs> true, though. You look it up, it's true, I promise. Um, I guess before we go any further... I know some of y'all are dying for me to say something. But wasn't that a terrible game Wednesday night? Huh? <laughs> hey, uh, like Charles Barkley would say, that was terrible. That was a, that was a terrible game. But uh, you know what? I, I thought there's some Tar Heel sewing shoes somewhere probably made those shoes and sabotaged him like that. That was just, that's just wrong. That was just wrong. And you know what? This is how y'all y'all really are, you Tar Heel fans. I, I don't get in the door before I start getting busted on. Okay? I got one one of my one of the band members said, "Man, we prayed for you. Now you pray for us that I don't blow out a shoe today." That wasn't even funny, Kevin. But then another person, he's seen all the bottles back there, and he said, well, who's those for, all the Duke fans? <laughs> that one was pretty good, I got to admit. That one was pretty good. But it was a terrible game. I don't care what you say, Larry. Today's message, though, 
uh, getting back on topic. We're still in the series of why I believe, and I get the joy of preaching why I believe in the church. Isn't that pretty cool? Why I believe in the church. And as I was thinking about this message and praying about it and, and meditating on what I was going to say and what God wanted me to say, and um, I got to thinking about the church. And I got to thinking, man, the church has taken some hits in the last several years. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, the media tries to tear us down. I believe Satan is behind it all in this world, and it's doing its part to tear the church down. The scandalous affairs that go on in the churches, the, uh, the unfortunate incidents with children in our churches, the church has taken some real hits, especially here in America, wouldn't you agree? But the one real problem in the church today, I believe, is internal. It's all the internal issues that we have in the church. I guess you could say that some of the wounds are self-inflicted. When I sat down uh, with a group of people, and in that group of people, out of ten of them, all ten, as they shared their story, has been hurt by the church in some shape, form, or fashion. I'd say we've got some internal problems, wouldn't you? I'd say that we've got the biggest problem with the church has been internal. It's been self-inflicted. And I know what you're saying is, brother, you are getting off to a rough start if you're trying to convince us on why we believe in the church. <clears throat> but I still believe in the church, amen? I still believe in the church, no matter what she's been through, no matter what, uh, what road she's gone down, no matter how many wounds she's got, I still believe in the church. I still believe that it's the institution that God has established on earth to carry the gospel to the lost. I still believe that us as his church are the temple of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, God says in the, in the New Testament that he won't dwell in a house made by human hands, but he will dwell in his creation. And I believe in that church. You still believe in that church? I read a story a few days ago about a pastor who was waiting in an airport to board a plane. And eventually he got on the plane, sat down beside a well-dressed young businessman reading the Wall Street Journal. <clears throat> they exchanged the usual pleasantries. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. And the pastor asked the young man what he did for a living. And the young man said, I'm in the figure spa business. He said, we change people's entire self-image by helping them change their body. He was a very young man, so the pastor asked, have you been doing that a while? He said, no, I just graduated from college last year, and they have already given me so much responsibility, and I'm hoping to manage the whole eastern part of the operation within just a few years. The pastor said, so, oh, you're a, a, a national organization. Oh, yes, the fastest growing company of our kind in the nation. And then there was the inevitable question, 
The young man said to the pastor, what do you do for a living? It's interesting, the pastor said. We actually have similar businesses. You're in the body changing business, and I'm in the personality changing business. He said, in my field, we apply basic theocratic principles to accomplish indigenous personality change. The young, the young guy had no idea what that meant, but he said, I've heard about that. Do you have an office here in the city? Oh, yes, the pastor said. We've got offices all over the state. In fact, we've got international We've gone international, and management has planned to put one office in every country by the end of the business era. The pastor paused for a minute and asked the young man, do you have that in your business? He said, no, not yet, but you mentioned the management. How does that work? The pastor said, well, it's a family business, you see. There's a father and a son, and they run everything. The guy said, wow, that must take a lot of capital. He said, yeah, it takes some money, but we never worry about finances because it's been said about my boss that he owns the, th the cattle on a thousand hills. And the young man said, oh, he's into ranching too. <laughs> the young man asked, well, what about your employees? Pastor said, oh, there's something special. You see, there is a spirit that pervades the entire organization. The father and the son love each other so much that it filtrates down to everybody. The pastor looked at the young man and said, I know this sounds unbelievable, but I have people in my organization that were willing to die for me. He said, do you have that in your business? The young man said, no, but there's a few people I'd like to kill. Then the young man said, well, what about the benefits? The pastor said, oh, they're amazing. I have complete life insurance, fire insurance, all the basics. And you may not believe this, but I have a very nice place being built for my retirement right now as we speak. By this point, the young man was feeling like the figure spa business may, maybe wasn't the best business to be in. Finally, he said, oh, can the operation last? I mean, companies, they come and go. And the pastor said, well, I think we've got a pretty good future at it. After all, we've, we've been at it for at least 2,000 years now. And that's the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to talk to you today why I believe in the church, or I still believe in the church, however you want to look at it. I want to give you three reasons. It's going to be a short message. Praise the Lord. Everybody said praise the Lord. All right. The number one reason why I believe in the church is because Jesus believed in the church. Ain't that enough? Ain't that enough right there? We could uh, sing the last song and go home on that note right there. Because Jesus believed in the church. I don't understand why we get away from, from what's right and what's wrong. If the Bible says it, shouldn't we just believe it? 
Shouldn't we just take it at its word, knowing that it's the infallible, spoken, living word of God? If it says it, we should just believe it. Man, we make things so complicated. Did you know that? We try to figure out what's this mean and what's that mean, and some of those things in the Bible are so clear, we don't even need to think about it. It's wrong, it's wrong. If it's right, it's right. It makes it pretty clear, but, you know, uh, the Word says it. we should obey it, we should believe it. It tells us in Hebrews, we're commanded in Hebrews not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together and to do it more as the day approaches. How many remember, remember growing up? Some of you probably don't remember this kind of growing up. But when your folks said to do something, you did it. Now, I know some of y'all had a lot of timeouts growing up. And y'all might not understand what that means. But some of us in here, my mama would backhand me in the mouth in a heartbeat. So when she said to do it, you did it. And you didn't ask why. And you didn't dare tell her no. Man, I see some of these kids tell their folks no. I think to myself, boy, I wouldn't have got the O out. It would have just been N And her reaction would have been whap. But sometimes we just need to do it. We just need to believe it because the Word says it, because God said so. You ever heard that one? Because I said so. You do it because I said so. Sometimes we just need to do it because we said so. But in Matthew 16, 16 through 18, it says that uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's asking them, who does people say that I am? Who, who are they saying that I am? And some said, well, they're saying that you're John the Baptist and some are saying that you're Elijah. And Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Jesus, or Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says in verse 18, upon this rock I will build my church. What is Jesus talking about upon this rock? What rock is Jesus talking about? That's right. Where are those, uh, he says, upon this rock I'll build my church. But do you know there's some that believe that he's talking about Peter. He's talking about Peter and that he's going to build his church on the, Peter is the foundation of the church. And do you know there's some people uh, in our modern culture that actually believe that we should kind of worship Peter. As the leader, as the head of the church. But that's not what Jesus is teaching here. In order to understand what Jesus is saying here, you have to understand that in the original language of this text, Jesus is using a play on words to describe the church. You see, when you look at verse 18 in the original Greek, you'll discover that the name Peter and the word rock are two very similar Greek words. The Greek word for Peter is petros, which literally means a small stone. 
And the Greek word for rock in this text is Petra, which means a huge rock. Peter's name Petros means small stone, but the rock that Jesus was talking about is Petra, means a huge mountainous rock. So what rock was Jesus talking about? Don't get me wrong. Peter did great things. He's a first pastor. He did awesome things. But the rock that Jesus was talking about was the rock, solid, foundational truth that Peter had declared in verse 16 when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the infallible, foundational, rock-solid truth of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the truth that Jesus embodied. This is the truth that the apostles preached. This is the truth that the early church believed. This is the truth that the early fathers of our church taught and died for. And this is the, this is the truth that we are responsible for today. That thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. I believe that He is the Christ. You? I believe that He is the Messiah. I believe that He is Emmanuel. I believe that He is the bread of life. And I believe that He is the Son of the living God. I mean, just think about it for a minute. You, in order to come to Christ, you must confess with your mouth... Believe in your heart that He is the Son of God, that He came to forgive you of your sins, and that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what rock He's talking about. That's what the rock is. Aren't you glad to be a part of the rock? Yes. The second reason I believe in the church is we are, we are Christ's body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, For just as the body is one and has members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. How many of you understand that Christ is the headship of the church? We are his body. He's the head. We are the body. As believers, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our spiritual well-being depends on our connection with Christ through the body. And boy, this is, this is tough stuff right here. In 1 Corinthians 12, the word body appears 18 times. What Paul is trying to tell us in this chapter is that we must be connected to each other in order to be what God wants us to be. Do you hear that? We are to be connected to each other, the body of Christ, in order to be what God wants us to be. So the next time you see that person that says, I don't have to go to church to be saved, he has to be connected to the body of Christ in order to be what God wants him to be or she. In the New Testament, the human body became the primary picture of the church body. At the end of verse 12, Paul wrote, so also is Christ. What the human body is to us, so also is Christ's body. There are many different parts doing many different things, but one unit. The reason our physical body is one is that all the parts are connected. Man, think about that. What Christ's body... what. What our body is to us, Christ's body is to Christ. The church is to Christ. So, 
many members doing different things, but they're all one. Now watch this. If your body, if my right leg said I want to go front, front forwards and my left leg said I want to go backwards, where am I going? Nowhere. That's exactly right because I'm going to do this. You see that? That's as far as I can split to y'all. Sorry. Mm-mm. We'd have other issues up here. So what does that mean? That everybody, yes, we're all different. We all have gifts. We all have talents. We all have our own part to do for the body of Christ. But we are one. We are one body. I love the way uh, Tony Evans, you anybody ever heard of Tony Evans? He's a black preacher, so y'all look him up. He's a good black preacher. Uh, he says, Christ's body, the church, is not an organization, but an organism. We can't create a robot and have an organization. The parts connected to each other so that it works. But the problem with the robot is that it has no life. It is organizationally connected, but it is not a living being. A human body, in contrast, has organization that, is, that makes it function, but it is also an organism. It is living, breathing life. Connection with the body is necessary for function for life, and it's essential if we are to leave a lasting impact and impression on our society and in our world. It is essential. What he's saying is, it is essential that the body of Christ is connected and is one if we're going to make a lasting impact in our world and in our community, in Asheboro, it is essential. We have to all be connected. We have to all do our part. Now, I briefly mentioned the Duke game. Whew, man, I hate to even bring it back up again. I wore my Duke blue shirt, but the black is for mourning. But what's funny about that game is when Zion Williamson got knocked out, God started to show me some things during the game. I knew I had to preach this message, and so God started to show me some things uh, during this message and, and, uh, or during that game. And Zion got knocked out, and, and we're sitting there watching the game, and after yelling at the TV for about an hour to stop shooting a three-point shot, because it clearly wasn't going in for us, um, I started to just accept we're going to lose this game. But the funny thing is, is when Zion went out, even the commentators kept saying, if Barrett and Reddish don't have a good game, they're not going to win. If those two players don't step it up and have a good game, they're not going to win. And at first I thought I agree with them until God started dealing with me about some things. 
and showing me, giving me some revelation through this game that I was watching. The problem with that is the whole team was putting the weight of winning on two guys. Two guys. And listen, they said if they don't have a good game, let's see, Barrett scored 33 points. And Reddish scored 27 points. I'd say that's a pretty doggone good game, wouldn't y'all? I mean, even though we lost, that's still a good game. But here these guys still had a phenomenal game. I don't even know what the other stats are, but they had a phenomenal game, and they still lost. And God began to show me what makes Carolina so good. Blech. Boy, that was hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh. We'll try to. What makes Carolina so effective? That's better. That's better. Is Roy Williams makes them play as a team. He makes them play as a team. You're never going to have, you might have one that's a little better than the other, but boy, when I pulled up the stats on Carolina, there was two that made, you know, up in the 20s, but they're, all of them. I think the lowest. Uh, I think the lowest that one player made was seven points in the starting five, and then it was fourteen, and then it was like twenty something, and then it was like twenty. I can't remember what the numbers are, but the fact is, is that they played as a team, and that's what makes them so hard to beat. That's what makes them so hard to beat. That's the. That's. Do you see the analogy there for the church? We can't carry it. There's not two people that can carry it. There's not one person that can carry it. There's not, you know, in the church, it's, they say it's the 80-20 rule. There's 20% of the church that does 80% of the work. And a lot of, a lot of times, that's the truth. That's the truth. You, 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 anybody been in church long enough, you understand that. But that 20% cannot carry the church. They need the, they need the other 80 to pick up and get it done. We got to do this together. We got to do it together. We got to play as a team. We got to get on the same team. There are many parts, and the church needs to do their part. You got to do your part. I got to do my part. You can't just do your own thing. It's not your body. It's our body. <laughs> yeah. It's our body. It's Christ's body. You can't do your own thing. You can't say, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. It's my life. It's my body. No, if you're a child of God, it's our body. It's our body. You can't do your own thing because your own thing is going to affect the rest of the body. It's going to affect the rest of the body. How many churches have split down through the years because somebody decided they're going to do their own thing? They're just going to do their own thing. I'm going to do this, or, or it might not even be taking, you know, splitting the church and going out and planting the, another church. It might be a sinful act. I don't care about the body of Christ. I'm going to, I'm going to sleep with that woman or whatever. I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing.
and the church split wide open because you can't do that. It's, you can't do that. My, my arm can't say I want to be a leg today. Can you imagine? I mean, that'd be funny looking. You, you're a part of the body, and you have to do your part. You have to do your part. We need each other to work together and set aside our differences so that we can ultimately advance the kingdom of God. Amen? The Bible says that we should go out of our way for the body of Christ. It says, yeah, love the world. But it, when it comes to the body of Christ, it says, especially those fellow believers, especially those brothers and sisters in Christ, especially them. You should go out of your way to love them. You should go out of their way to help them. We need each other to live this life. Proverbs tells us in chapter 27 that as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. So what's that mean? That we, we need each other to sharpen each other, to make us stronger, to make us sharper. But that also means when you clang two pieces of metal together, what happens? Sparks. That means we ain't going to get along all the time. And we don't. There's some of you out there that you might not even like me now. And you don't even know me, but you might not like me. But you got to love me. At the end of the day, you got to love me. You may think, man, he's an arrogant, pompous jerk. And I'm trying not to be. But at the end of the day, we got to set our differences aside. Because the ultimate goal is to advance the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if you like me or not. We got to get along and head in the right direction. I got to do my part. You got to do your part. Amen? That don't mean we're going to get along. Don't get me wrong. There's certain things in the church that we cannot tolerate. And we have to deal with those things. And the Bible is specific and shows us exactly how we need to deal with those things. But we shouldn't have to worry about sharing our hearts with each other. We shouldn't have to worry. I should be able to go to my brother Kevin and say, Kevin, man, I'm, I'm going through some stuff right now. And I've, I've really, I really just need to pour into you. I need you to just be an ear and listen to me. And Kevin should be able to do the same without the worry of Kevin going back to everybody saying, oh, let me tell you what I heard. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what Jason said to me. And then the next thing you know, you're getting calls from people out of the blue saying, oh, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what so-and-so said, so-and-so said, so-and-so said, so-and-so said. We shouldn't have to worry about that. We should bear one another's burdens. Confess our sins to one another. Bear our burdens with one another. Man, we, that should be a... I couldn't tell you in the, how much it meant in the toughest times of my life to have my brothers and sisters, my true brothers and sisters in Christ, sit at the table with me and cry with my family. And truly bear 
my burdens. Hurt when I hurt. That's what the Bible says. We're to hurt when we're to hurt when each other hurts. We're to rejoice when each other rejoices. That's what I love about life groups. That's what I love about life groups here at Rushwood is it, it, it takes you from this big setting into a smaller setting to where you can get intimate with each other and share each other's hearts. And if you're not a part of a life group, you need to get plugged into one. They're great. They are a great source of fellowship and intimacy with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Get plugged in. And number three, my last point, we're still his plan A. I believe in the church because we're still his plan A. I remember Brent uh, preached a message. It's been probably a couple years ago, but he said God has a plan A, or he is, we're his plan A. He does not have a plan B, and we're still his plan A. We're still his plan A. Everybody knows the Great Commission, or if you don't, you should, but I'll read it to you. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's the Great Commission, and that's enough for us to understand what our job here is on earth. But I find it interesting that over in John chapter 17, it's recorded just before being crucified, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And, he sa and then he says this prayer for you and I. He says this. He says in John 17, 20 through 23, he says, I do not ask for these only. What he's talking about is just for the disciples. I'm not just praying for the disciples, but for, but for also those who believe in me through their word, all believers, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be, may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. His church, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Man, you ask yourself, well, why is Jesus just praying for the believers and not the world. He's about to die on the cross and he's not praying for the world, but he is praying for just his disciples and just his believers. It's because basically what Jesus is saying there is the hope for the world, the plan to reach the lost, hangs on all those who believe in him. Hangs on the church. It's the church's responsibility. Jesus tells us in Matthew 16 that he's given us the keys to the kingdom. We are his plan A. He has no plan B. Notice that in order for the world to know that Jesus loves them, we have to become perfectly one. You know, the real reason why people don't go to church, they say, is because they've been. And that's sad. 
Because when they walk through those doors, they should feel a presence of unity like they have never felt before. When they walk through those doors, they should feel like they're a part of something that's supernatural like they have never felt before. A oneness, a oneness. Not saying everybody get along, but what I am saying is everybody has the same focus, and that's to advance the kingdom of God. You know, it's sad that according to Bonner Research, and I'm going to close shortly, according to Barner Research, 80% of those that sit in the pew think that the church is for them. Only 20% of the church or those that sit in a pew believe that the church is here to reach the world. And we want to know why nobody comes, no sinners come to our church. We want to know why the church is basically uh, uh, rearranging everything so that we can go to them and get the gospel to them because they're not coming here. You want to know why? Because 80% of the church thinks, this is for me. This is mine. This church is for my family, for me. But the fact of the matter is, is we're here. You know what the original church gathered for? They gathered to break bread together and to discuss and talk about what they've already been going through in their weekly studies and what God is revealing to them. It wasn't to stand and watch a preacher preach and y'all just go out those doors and do nothing. But really how it should be is you come in here and you get energized and you get motivated and we encourage one another. We get each other ready to go back out into the field, to go back out into the mission field to what? Reach the lost. Reach the lost. This is a personal, this is personal to me. You see, because at 17 years old, both parents locked up in prison by myself, no father, no mother, nobody, by myself. It was the church that reached out to me. It was the church that came to me and pulled me in. Yeah, it was my mother and father-in-law, but listen, they were the church. They were a part of the body of Christ, and they came and took me in like one of their own and took care of me and treated me like one of their own. It was the church that reached me. Do you understand why we've, we've got to get past our, our problems? And maybe you're here today because you realize that you've not been doing your part. Maybe what you've heard, you've, God started dealing with you and you realize you've not been doing your part. Or maybe you're here and you have hard feelings towards somebody. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Do you know, remember what I just said, in order to be connected to God perfectly, we have to be connected to each other. So, it's relationship. It's all about relationships. If you got one that's off, it's hindering your walk with God. It's hindering your relationship with God.
That's just how it is. It, that's, that's the black and white part of the Bible. That's how it is. You, you, you can't read between the lines there. That's how it is. If you have problems, the Bible says if you have all against your brother and you bring a sacrifice or an offering to the altar, leave that sacrifice and go get things right with your brother. And husbands, you know that it, your, your, uh, your prayers are hindered by the way you treat your wife. Yeah. You talk badmouth her and then go in your prayer closet. Nope. Your prayers are hindered because you're, you're to treat her in a certain way. See, God has designed it for, it's about relationships. We've got to get those relationships right because, listen, there's more people like me out there. More today than there was 20-some years ago, I promise you, that need the church of Jesus Christ. They need the body of Christ to be one and get along and step out of faith and say, come on in. Let me love on you. Let me take care of you. They need the body of Christ. And maybe you're here because you've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by the church. And I know there's a lot of you that's been hurt by the church, but understand we, the church is human. If you miss that part, the church is a human body. Jesus is the headship, but unfortunately his body is made up of human beings. And we're not perfect. And maybe you're here because you've been hurt by the church. But I can tell you this, if you have been hurt by the church and you uh, still have some feelings, it's hindering your walk with God. So the worship team's going to play. They're going to sing a last song. And this is simple. It's a simple altar call. If that's you, if that's you, if you fit any of those categories, this is your time to get it right. This is your time to, to make it right with God and say, all right, God, from this moment going forward, I'm going to be connected. I'm going to get with it, Father. I'm going to be one with the body of Christ. I'm going to stop fighting it. I'm going to stop doing it my way, God. I'm going to get in your word and learn what I'm supposed to do and truly be a part of the body of Christ. This is your moment. This is your moment. It's that simple. They're going to sing. Y'all stand and then we're going we're gonna to pray out of here and, and go eat.
Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Father, I thank you for Jesus. And Jesus, you are worthy of your name. And Lord, I just pray that anything that was said here today, Lord, that was wrong, God, that you will bind it from their minds, God. Block it. Father, everything that you wanted to he them to hear and penetrate their heart with, God, I pray that that's the only thing that they hear. 
Father, be with us now. Go with us. Keep us safe. And Father, help us to be the church and to be perfectly one. And Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget about the giving boxes on your way out. Love you guys. See you next week.